Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Welcome to Theology Unplugged. It's great having you back, or maybe it's not ha- great having you back. Michael, it's great seeing you, or maybe I just lied. Here's what I'm thinking. Is it okay for me as a Christian to lie? Is it okay for me to say, JJ, that looks like a really nice shirt? Yeah, I was wrestling with this yesterday, Tim, when you said, you know, does this make me look fat? And I had to decide what to tell you. Dude, you're hitting me deep, man. That's my, like my deepest weakness. I know I have you a problem said, with You food. said, be honest with me. Does this make me look fat? And I didn't know what to say. Okay, Tim, Tim it, that introduction seemed fake. Is that a qualify? <laughs> yes, that is Being fake, partially is that lying? lying. Yeah. So in Exodus chapter 1, Sam, Exodus chapter 1, the Pharaoh of Egypt commands someone to do something and then the people totally lie to his face, and God seems to use it. Does that mean that I can totally lie to people, and God will potentially use that? Like, the, like how do I approach Scripture? Are you talking about the d- midwives there? Yes. So do we have to respond truthfully? Um, <laughs> dang it, I don't know. I'm, I'm so There's caught in this assumption. lie. I don't know what's true now. Okay, so well, let, let, this is on pace to be our corniest yeah. episode ever. <laughs> no, let's look at this. This is okay. serious. Uh, uh, when, when he said, you know, you have to take the lives of the male children, and Pharaoh says, why have you let them live? And they said, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Well, obviously, that's not true. They were fabricating in order to protect themselves, in order to protect the lives of these young boys. And then the next statement says, and because, excuse me, so God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong because the midwives feared God. He gave them families. So it seems as if God is uh, voicing his approval to their deception uh, with regard to Pharaoh and his commandment. And we do start with a basic assumption, I think. I mean, throughout Scripture, there's lots of places we can turn, but in the Ten Commandments, we have uh, the commandment about bearing false witness. And so, I mean, let's be clear here that when we're talking about the difficulty here with this passage, it's because we're we're starting with the assumption that lying is not good. That's right. Let's make it clear to our listeners. Uh, We live in a world in which truth is cheap. And we want to go on the record, I'm sure I'm speaking for all of us, and say we value truth-telling. You know, Paul says, do not lie to one another in Colossians 3. Ephesians 4, speak the truth to one another because you are members one of another. So we highly value truth. God is a God of truth. Well, and he's a consuming fire. Like when we hear his commands, we shouldn't be like, well, maybe I'll follow that or maybe I won't. I mean, we should be, should we not desire to follow God to the absolute T of the letter of his law? Absolutely. So the question we're facing then is, are there circumstances in life in which not communicating truth, deliberately communicating a falsehood 
is ethically permissible in the sight of God. Yeah, so I agree. We're, we're talking about ethics today. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree with that? Absolutely. We're talking about ethics. Yes. So, so let me propose this. It, is, are there cases in my life potentially where I should break the Ten Commandments to follow God? And you should bear false witness. Yeah. Uh, that, that you should misrepresent the truth, that you should misrepresent yourself knowingly. But knowing that the Holy Spirit has intended every letter of the Bible to be written. And so these aren't just like mere ten suggestions. Yeah. These are ten commandments. So and, and should not, I not break just, them? And, and not just that. I mean, I want to take it one step further in the direction Sam was going is the practicality of this. I I grew up, and I'm sure we've all been around or even been so in our own lives to where we have just maybe it's a pathological liar. I had a friend that was a very, very pathological liar, and we all is knew this. Is this friend you? No, no. Okay. Uh, it's not you either, so. Okay. <laughs> this isn't the, I knew a man in Christ. Yeah, you that's, know, right, okay. that's right. Bless his soul. <laughs> but but he, was, he was someone that everybody knew it. It was kind of this running joke in the background. But the biggest tragedy and the thing that remains a tragedy for him, and this is what I tell my kids because he is always the illustration that I use about the destructiveness of lying and bearing false witness, especially about yourself and doing everything you can to be as honest with yourself and with others as, you, uh, as possible, is because in the end, we didn't know who this guy was. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was like he, he, everything he spoke, every story he told, he had tall tales that were just you know, that were beyond the imagination. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, we believed all of these tales. Um, this will probably give it straight away, but I doubt he's listening to this. But the, when we really discovered is when we were going to a, we were going to um, uh, South Texas, mm. and we were going on vacation there. And his dad owned the hotel for years and years. His dad owned the the Hilton there in the place that we were going. Mm. But by the time we got there, you know, we pull up. And there, I don't even think there was a Hilton there. You know, wow. and we ended up having to stay at some. Uh, I think it was called the Fisherman's Wharf. <laughs> it was it was a terrible place, and we were so excited. But then we were like, everything this guy says, everything this guy is. Well, I mean, who is he? And that's the thing that it comes down to. Is it's like. How much can you misrepresent or can you misrepresent? Because it's such a, a, a distinguishing mark of character for people who are out there that you want people to be. You want your friends to be true. You want your wife to be true. You want people to be who they really are in order for relationships not to break down. This might feel a little bit dry, but I'd like to give our listeners some rails to run on, and, and this should help us as well. There's there's basically three broad views you can hold as a Bible-believing Christian. There are many other views you can hold about truth-telling or ethics if you don't hold the authority of Scripture, but as people who believe in the truth of Scripture, who accept the Ten Commandments as, as truth from God, there's not really a long list of options. And they're slightly fancy names, but they're pretty easy to understand. When you look at Exodus 1, there's one of three broad things you can conclude. One is the view called non-conflicting moral absolutism. Non-conflicting moral absolutism. And what that implies is that God's never going to put you in a catch-22. People who hold this view would cite things like 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You know, he's going to provide a way of escape. He's Mm -hmm. not going to put you in a situation where uh, no matter what you do, you're going to have to sin. Uh, You have to sin your way out of the situation. 
Um, another view is what's called ideal absolutism, and this is what you might call the lesser evil view. So, you know, you're stuck in a situation and you have to decide which is the lesser of two evils and pick it, you know. So here, the midwives would have said, well, it's wrong to lie, so we're going to commit that sin, but it'll save the lives of these babies, yeah. so it's, we'll it's repent. It's even worse to That's give right. up human life. That's right, so, so we'll repent. Sin to That's right, we'll save. repent afterwards. We have to repent because we're, we're actually stuck here, but God will forgive us. Um, and we avoided committing a greater evil that we'd have to repent of. The third view is, is called graded absolutism or hierarchicalism, and this is a little bit different than the lesser evil view. This is the greater good view, and here the view would be that the midwives uh, don't have to sin, but that the command to not lie actually gets suspended by the situation. So here, uh, because there's a greater good in preserving the life, then they don't have to repent afterwards. The command to not lie was suspended in their case. So, so, how, so how does this differ from situation ethics, what you just said, the latter view? Uh, Basically, it just depends on the situation. I will tell the truth or I'll lie. How, well, how is that not what you're advocating? Yeah, situationism is not something that we can embrace as Christians because people who believe in situationism don't believe in absolutes. So they're going to say, you know, love's going to determine what you do. Um, and there's some general ruling principles, you know, let love govern your actions. Uh, but, but they're not going to claim, as we do, that there are right things and wrong things to do in so your situation. So you're saying the third view is predominantly a Christian view, uh, then situational ethics w- could be something that even someone who's an atheist would still hold to that. Yeah, I would say I would say non-conflicting, ideal, or graded absolutism. Those are kind of our broad <laughs> options. That is hard. Yeah, so it's like <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Either, it's either there's always a right thing to do, there's always a way of escape, or there's a lesser evil, and then you repent afterwards for what you did, or there's a greater good, and God lets you off the hook. Let me, let yeah. me give you an illustration. Let's take another biblical example, Rahab, yeah. Yeah. the harlot, Joshua chapter 2, the spies. By the way, it's interesting that apparently God uh, endorsed the use of spies Spies lie. They yeah. deceive. They they hide their identity mm-hmm. and their intent. So there's another issue. God obviously commissioned, you know, Moses commissioned ten spy, 12 spies to go into the land. Joshua commissions two spies to go into Jericho. But that's, you know, another issue. Maybe we can come back to it. But Rahab deceived uh, those who came looking for them. She lied about their whereabouts and who they were. And then we read in James chapter 2, verse 25, that Rahab the prostitute was justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Um, so, he, Hebrews eleven thirty one by right. faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, but because she had given a freely welcome uh, free welcome to the spies again yeah. the endorsement. So, so here's so here's the option. Somebody would say using one of JJ's uh, uh, options, they said, "Look, here's what Rahab should have done." She should have recognized that lying was wrong, and she should have welcomed these soldiers in and said, uh, look, you're, you're free to, to search my house without deceiving them, without lying to them, and then just committed the welfare of the Jewish spies to the providence of God. Mm. That way, that's the idea that, um, that, that there's no conflicting absolutes here. It would yeah. be wrong to lie. It would be wrong to say, oh, there they are. Go and kill them. So she just basically... Uh, stands mute and allows the providence of God to work it out. And that was Calvin's view, if I recall. You know, he would have said that that what's being commended here is her faith, not necessarily the granular way in which she tried to carry it out, but that God was still able to recognize that 
at the end of the day, she sought to protect the spies oh, because yeah. she trusted in this God of Israel. The problem with Calvin's view is in both Hebrews 11 and James 2, it is specifically the way she received the spies in and protected them that is being commended. Interesting. Even though she's a total traitor to her whole country. You know, I mean, from the perspective of living in Jericho, I mean, she would be what you'd name your dog after, not your kids, yeah. because you see her. And so you'd say, wow, her hospitality towards two people was of greater good, if you take the second view, was of greater good than being a, a person of integrity that is actually allowing your whole city to survive, you know? And and it seems out of balance, you know? You know, we do seem to have those these situations in our own life that, that these this finds very practical relevance. Yeah. But I, I, I think often of the stories that we hear whenever um, you had the time in World War II and the Nazis and the, yeah. the Jewish people and the, the book The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where she did not turn over. The Nazis came in and said, do you have any Jews in your house? The answer, no. You know, well, well, and, and, the, and the Bonhoeffer could, is glaring here. You know, like, is it okay to murder somebody for the sake of a greater good? You know, and now he was totally fine with, with killing Hitler for that. Well, and tell me what you guys think about this, because you think about even the phrasing, the Ten Commandments, thou, thou shalt not, in the King James, bear false witness. What a context there. You're being called as a witness. You're swearing mm-hmm. to give a clear account, and then you intentionally deceive when the expectation of your hearers, which you've helped to set, is that you'll tell the truth. Now, if I'm on a field of battle and someone faints as though they were to flee and I pursue them and then an ambush comes out of hiding and slaughters my troops, I'm not going to accuse my enemy of lying to me because all things considered versus all things being equal, that's my expectation that he will deceive me. We're at war. So mm-hmm. so what that does is we need to do something. We haven't even done something. We've been talking here for 15 minutes. Why don't we define what a lie is? Excellent. Because I've got a suspicion that we have different definitions, and I think our our hearers probably do as well. So, somebody, give give me a definition. What does it mean to lie. Michael, you're an expert in this field. Could you just... <laughs> <laughs> um, I would think that you, you speak differently than what you know in, with the intent to deceive. Um, you know something. I mean, there, there has to be something known first off. So it's intentional. It's, an in, it's, it's communication of an intentional falsehood. Yeah, and that, that you ha- there's something that you have to know or at least think you know it. And the reason why I bring this qualification up is because today there's just all kinds of things going around about what do we really know and, yeah. you know, uh, uh, the perception versus reality type things. And I know pe- some people out there that are into apologetics and into philosophy. This is where they go. Well, you can't really ever lie because you never really can know anything. Whenever I say this, I think you have to be convicted about the knowledge of what you are deceiving about. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to be right about it. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I have a I have an added dimension to your definition. Okay. Here, here's my definition of a lie. You That's guys, a really nice way guys, to say that he's basically like taking your childish view. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Like here it is, and you guys tell me what you think. I just wrote this down. I'll, to lie is to intentionally communicate a falsehood to someone who has a right to know the truth. Excellent. Now, let me say that again. It's the intentional communication of a falsehood to someone who has a right to know the truth. Now, the reason why I added that last phrase is, and let me just ask this in the form of a question, does everyone at all times have a right to know and be told the truth? And I'm going to answer my own question. I think the answer is no. So, for example... Um, did anybody go out with their wife recently? 
at, at last night. night. Okay, good. Okay. Whoa, nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> last night, I did it. All right. All right. Let's say you're you drop off the kids at a babysitter, and as you leave the house, you turn on the lights and you leave them on. Why? Because you are trying to communicate to a would-be burglar, somebody's there, when somebody isn't there, you are intentionally deceiving. You're communicating a falsehood to an individual. But is it a lie that should be condemned as ethically wrong? And I would say no, because the person to whom you're communicating that falsehood has no right to know the truth. They forfeit that right because of their intent to violate the law and break into your home. Well, okay, but here's where There's my challenge is. There's a difference between you. bluffing when you're playing poker and perjuring yourself on the witness stand. Well, I feel like, Sam, in some ways, you've kind of punted the responsibility now to not the word lie, to, but to the word right. So, so who has the right? Sure. So, so if a, Are th- if an SS guard looks at Bonhoeffer and says, "Is there a bomb in that suitcase?" and he says, "No," then I could make the case the SS guard did not have a right to know. Right. Well, did Pharaoh so, have so a right becomes, to know? Yeah. Did, did Pharaoh have a right to know? what the midwives were doing? And the answer, I think, is no, because his intent was to commit unadulterated murder of innocent children. So what what I feel like you're therefore going to say is lying is always wrong when it's a true definition of lying. Right. All all things being equal. Yes. And telling evil, right? I mean, the the intent for the burglar or uh, compared to a birthday party, you know, uh, the surprise birthday party we're having tonight. Uh, Where are we going? We're going out to dinner whenever you're you're not, you know. Well, yeah, and let's be clear about what Sam's just done. He hasn't created slippery little outs for when lying is okay. What he's done is he's carefully defined his terms so that there is a way of escape. So a lot of times absolutism can feel really heavy, but it's because we've overdefined the absolute. We haven't been careful. So when a when a burglar is holding my wife at gunpoint, if I'm saddled by the Ten Commandments to not kill him to save the life of my wife, I've misdefined the command to not murder. It wasn't a command to not kill. It was a command to not murder. So I'm not being slippery by saying that I have a right to defend my family. I'm I'm carefully defining my terms. So, so here's a here's a good question. Here's a case point. Um, you you buy a new home and. Uh, you're, you move into the house, and then you discover that um, it doesn't have an alarm system, but the previous tenants and owners of the home have a little sign out in the front yard, and there are little decals on the windows that say, secured by ADT or whatever a, a security mm-hmm, system mm-hmm. it is. And you say, well, honey, should we rip these signs up? Should we take the decals off? Because we don't have, it's not a functioning alarm system, but we're communicating that we do. And your spouse says, no, the people for whom that is intended are those who forfeit the right to know whether we have an alarm system or not. But, so you see, again, what's... ADT, though, will say that you've lied to us. <laughs> because, because They're you... not going to object because no. it's good advertising for them. Well, no, they they'll they'll say you advertise by paying me $40 okay. well, let's, a month. Let's go back to or the what, lights. Wait, wait, wait. Let, let's yeah. do one more. What about, what about putting a beware of dog sign on your back fence when you don't have a dog? And again, what Sam's doing here is he's not listing exceptions to the absolute. I he's, feel like he's, he's Sam's interpreter. Yeah. He's more, well, because Sam is, you know, I lean towards non-conflicting moral absolutism, and, and Sam is, is shoring up my position. Now, which one is that? Is that the greater good one? No, I'm, that's the Non-conflicting uh, moral absolutism, if you listen to the phrase, it means that absolutes won't conflict, that there will be a way of escape, that you don't have to break one rule to keep another, that God's not going to put you in a catch-22 position. Now, what's interesting here is, 
what Sam has done is he's more you carefully. You... No, I'm, I hold. A, <laughs> I hold a hier- I hold a hierarchicalism. I believe that you're a you're a you're a, a greater good. I, I JJ's good. world is falling apart. Right now. <laughs> no, I disagree ba- with him. Man. Coming back to the, the midwives, I think the midwives were faced with two um, moral principles. One, the sanctity of life on the one hand. Second was the sanctity of truth telling on the other. And they made a decision that the sanctity of life is greater than the responsibility to tell the truth. So, in fact, they okay, deceived let me Pharaoh. Push, let me push back at okay. you because by your very definition of truth telling, this situation does not apply because you already said he didn't have the right to know. So, therefore, there is no hierarchy to choose because, by definition, this situation falls outside the pale of truth telling. Well, they deceived him. Didn't they? Yes, but you already said that that's a deception that isn't doesn't constitute lying because lying by definition only occurs when somebody has a right to know. Yeah, well, and here's here's my huge question: Who gets to decide who gets a right to know? That's a great point. I well, do. The, I do. <laughs> well, <laughs> come come to me. I'll adjudicate all questions. Yeah. So isn't yeah. that a situational personal ethic then? It, it, that, that's what it's always going to come down to: is the greater good. If we're going with the greater good, who decides and when do you decide that's that's well, the greater good? Well, in that good? particular situation, you have an entire Bible to inform. It's not right no. to for chattel slavery. It's not okay to murder babies. It's not okay to harm innocents. So you have a whole biblical moral framework. But you're right. What it means is that just because we've said the things we've said, this doesn't now give us pat answers for every situation. Right. It's still incredibly complex it, figuring out in how a, to apply We it. live in a messy, messy world We're that not presents us right with circumstances yeah. in which uh, there aren't easy answers. Now, an obvious one would be, I was just thinking about this the other day, what about the, the Normandy invasion, World War II? Um, the, the, the Allies, us, our side, m- launched and fabricated a massive deception to uh, the Nazis about where the invasion of Europe would occur. Should Eisenhower and Churchill have sent Hitler uh, a telegram, said, look, we just want to be honest with you. You know, we're forthright. We we believe in truth-telling at all times. We're going to invade at Normandy. Yeah, we we feel really bad about the deception. Yeah, that's right. And Nobody so now, would you, done that. now you have to revisit the midwives and Rahab and ask, are these enemy combatants? Is Rahab switched sides? Is she crossed over in a yeah. sense like extracting a spy from the USSR and flipping them so that they become an American citizen? You know, and I would is say Rahab? Absolutely. Well, then all bets are off. And so this then becomes not an exception to lying, but it becomes a situation in which the moral framework of lying no longer applies. Well, so, and the challenge too is that Rahab doesn't just like get by just barely, like she becomes in the lineage of Jesus. You know, so it's taken to this whole other level. And she, because she was very courageous, was she yeah. not? Yeah, and yeah. she had faith. So, here, so here's another. I know we're throwing out all sorts of hypothetical situations, but these help f- focus our thinking. So um, if, if your wife, um, God forbid this should ever happen, is uh, uh, going out to her car at the mall late at night and she's assaulted, um, is it wrong of her to uh, fabricate a heart attack? And to fabricate fainting that just as if she just passes out and is having a heart attack in order to ward off a potential rapist? Or must she just simply uh, accept what comes her way? Does she have the right, uh, does she have the authorization of God to deceive that potential rapist? I'd say say absolutely. I would say Uh, yes, too. I don't think she owes him anything. 
Yeah. Certainly not the truth in that particular well, case. Well, I think what's going to cause a lot of people's minds, you know, the, the, the steam to start coming out, it's, it's going to be a certain type of personality many times that are dealing with this that are just saying, I can't take the gray areas. Yeah. And and that's and so many times in our Christian life that what that is what it comes down to, and that's where you're going to have such a hard time in the in our theology is, I can't if I can't take the gray areas, then I've got to have some type of absolute answer in order that it can apply to well, all cases. That and, way, well, I can be this representing is important God. to realize that one position is there are no gray areas. It's just that we can't see the black and the white, but they exist. And so, what we need to do is always be rigidly truthful and let God sort it out in yeah, the end. Yeah, because the, the black and white is in the eyes of God, and we have to—I think we just have to use wisdom. I think what we're missing here is the word wisdom yeah, and yeah. Dis- discernment, you know? So, like, if I told my kids, hey, I've got I've to run around the block real quick, whatever you do, do not leave the house. Whatever you do, do not leave the house. And I tell my kids that, and then my house catches on fire. I don't want my kids to be so literal—I want them to be absolutely literal— until wisdom kicks in saying, I got to get out of the house. To understand the difference between all things being equal versus all things considered like a fire, you know, and and I'd like to throw in a few words from my ethics prophet, Southern Ken Magnuson. I loved what he said because we were carrying this out. This is a lens for how we treat all thorny ethical issues. He said, extreme cases shouldn't dictate our understanding, but sharpen it. And that's true. You know, we tend to go to the extreme first but you guys did a good job of saying, hey, let's establish a commitment to truth-telling. Yeah. Then we'll talk about test cases. But yeah. but let it be known very clearly that if you commit yourself to truth-telling, most situations will take care of themselves. Yeah, this is yeah. not something that every day at every situation at every turn you're going to be hit with this, oh, what's the greater good, and you're weighing this out. But like Tim said, I do think that if we're fully informed the best we can biblically, we're, we're uh, doing everything we can to follow the Lord, we're, we're, you know, we're not going to make perfect decisions, we're not mm-hmm. going to always have the ability to be perfectly wise in all situations, but wisdom does kick in in these situations. And we should commit ourselves as best as we can through the power of the Spirit to be people of the truth. We want to make sure that everyone knows that that's where we stand. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House, a theological hub and coffee shop located at 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma. For more information on the Credo House or to support the ongoing work of its theological ministry, please visit www.credohouse.org.